Welcome to Co-Pilots, the podcast where we watch not just the first episode of a show, but also the second. Some shows just don't have the best pilot episode, and giving it that second chance might just sway your mind. Here, we take that second chance for you, and let you know our opinion on if a show deserves more than just one shot. I'm Justice, alongside me is my co-pilot Josh. Now, let's get ready for takeoff. Your in-flight entertainment this week will be Helix. First, before we dive into Helix, I do want to apologize for missing our October 12th upload, Contracted COVID. I thought it was Narvix A. It was Narvix A, that's why I'm dead now. Yeah, that makes sense. And too much coughing to make a functional recording? Trust me, I would have tried if I could have spent more than 30 seconds without coughing my lungs up. Yeah, it was kind of hard to do. It was like the 15 minutes of consciousness was just constant coughing, and then the subsequent four to three hours of sleep is even less conductive to podcasting than the coughing. Who would have guessed? Did I really sleep that much? I mean, you may have been awake for like half an hour to 45 minutes, actually, but... Fair. Most of that was spent coughing, though. Anyways, we reviewed Helix, which continues our October sci-fi horror show Sci-fi being the channel, not the other type of genre. The whole thing we led into with the Dresden Files, which wasn't a horror show, it was just a sci-fi channel original series, so you could get a taste for how good these shows are. And it was supernatural, so it was kind of close to spooky stuff. Anyways, Helix is from 2015, I believe? 2014? I wrote it down, but I don't know where at, so... I think it's 2014. That sounds right to me. Episode 1 is entitled Pilot, because it was a first episode. Yep, and we open on a white screen. And it says... And and some wind howling. And then it says, two days ago. And then we see a science base in a snowy place. And the base is rather large, it appears to be, after looking at a snowcat driving outside in another scene, I'd say roughly 20 to 30 feet above the level of the snow, which isn't too tall because it's a giant weird circular thing. Then we're greeted to a voice saying repeatedly, Contamination 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 exterminate wait wrong thing sorry and um no daleks say explain they don't say exterminate (laughs) explain if you haven't seen the episode of doctor who where daleks are in new york in the past (laughs) and they're attempting to like experiment on humans to turn them into more daleks and Doctor Who confuses the Daleks and they demand he explains. Yeah. You've literally not seen the most adorable scene in all of Doctor Who because Daleks being confused and demanding an explanation is adorable. Is this what they call a Moe gap? Like this time it's adorable, but mainly just because most of the time they want to murder you? (laughs) I guess. I don't know what a Moe gap is. One of us is more of a weeb than the other. I made a reference to it in some other episode, and I've actually figured out what it is since then. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, what's a Moe gap? It's this difference between how a thing acts or normally appears. So if you have, like, a really, really serious character who is suddenly, like, clumsy or something or has, like, a secret that they find embarrassing, the difference is supposed to be cute. So seeing them in this different way is supposed to make them more cute. Oh, so... So the bigger the difference, the larger the moe gap because moe is cute so normally daleks are just incredibly annoying and stupid stupid but then this weird confusion that we never see is entirely different from that so it's adorable huh i think it's supposed to apply to waifus but i like the dalek moe gap more (laughs) it's amazing to me that daleks have a moe gap (laughs) Uh, 
Also, yeah. it feels like a term I should have known at some point. I don't know why. I just never cared to do so. So, back to Helix and not Dalek Moe Gaps. We see two guys walking in some clean suits or hazmat suits, depending on your terminology, down yep. a hallway. Yep. And then we, we get flashes of another dude running down a hallway, making Jim Carrey-like faces. Yep. He's wearing scrubs that have blood on them. And if you don't know what, what I mean by Jim Carrey faces... Go like, watch any Jim Carrey movie. His face humor, because he has that whole rubber face thing going on. Yeah, he, he should play Mr. Fantastic in any live action adaptation where he can be Mr. Plastic. I well, Plastic mean, Man, sorry. Yeah, Plastic Man, I agree. Jim Carrey would make a good one. But I like Krasinski as Mr. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, I, I meant Plastic Man. Mm-hmm. Like, Jim Carrey could do a good Mr. Fantastic. Yeah, but in, like, I don't want him to. Like a comedy adaptation or something? Well, no. Carrey can play serious roles. He's done. Yeah, that's true. And he's done true. it really, really well. I don't know. I've just seen so much fan art of Krasinski as Mr. I just Fantastic. Think Carrie like, works as Plastic Man because Plastic Man is kind of more jokey, but also kind of a badass still. Unfortunately, Plastic Man's DC, isn't he? Yes, Plastic Man is DC. Which is unfortunate because DC movies are typically garbage. Yeah, he could show up in a Suicide Squad movie, though. Plastic Man was a villain and had a point. He could show up in a Robert Pattinson Batman film. Yes. I like Robert Pattinson as an actor, and that trailer got me so hyped. Um, if you notice, we're not focusing too much on this episode, on this show. I want to get it out of the way. It's not great. It's not bad. It's not great. They have some um, things to talk about, though. So, the hazmat suits are obviously following the, the, runny, the mm-hmm. runny hallway dude, because we see them go through, like, the same doors and gates and... The- weird locked orange gate. And our scrubs guy gets into this weird, looks like operating slash lab area where there's... Music playing from an MP3 player. Well, we don't see that part yet. Our, our scrub guy gets there and then like two hands snatch him from behind. Yes. Which has yet to be explained in these show episodes. Then our hazmat suit guys get in there and there's some bodies on the floor. And an MP3 is playing Do You Know the Way to San Jose by Doreen Warwick, which is a great song. And then the hazmat dudes find this room full of corpses, but one of the corpses is still alive. It's our scrubs guy. Yeah, and the hazmat suit dude one offers water to the guy convulsing on the ground. And when he takes the water, which he doesn't actually get an option, the dude just sprays water in his mouth. Yeah, it's one of those scientific like water bottles where you spray a squirt. A it's a hamster water. bottle. Yeah, yeah, but that's not technically what it is. You, you know what I'm talking about, though. <laughs> it's a hamster bottle. Uh, <laughs> but the water causes the guy to convulse even more intensely. And the second hazmat guy goes, what is that? And hazmat guy number one looks at him and goes, progress. In the most evil scientist voice possible. And, um, By the way, this guy's name is Dr. Hitaki. He'll come back later. Hiroshi Hitaki. Yeah, he's got super evil scientist vibes. This is true. And then we cut to an opening slate that just says Helix. And we actually forgot an important part here. And there's some upbeat music playing on the, on the slate. After he squirts the water in our scrub guy's mouth, and after that I said no and tried to say something else, he starts to kind of like, it's like a grumbling slash groaning noise that shouldn't emanate from a human being. And his throat starts vibrating and oscillating. In a weird manner. And then we get the opening slate that says Helix and upbeat music. It actually, I think, has some of the music from, you know, the way that San Jose playing at the end of it. Yeah, I think that's just like the theme the song. section of it. Yeah, I think it uses that song, which is kind of dope. I like the song. And then we cut to the CDC headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. And we see Dr. Alan Farragut looking for something. That's right, right? Atlanta's the city in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Dr. Alvin Farragut is looking around his office for something. We don't actually get his name here, but it's on a plaque on his desk. So, so we you... do actually get his name here. Yeah, if you care to read. Just as I'm watching TV, why would I be reading? I mean, you've got the fucking subtitles on your television. On everything I watch except wrestling. Yeah. So he can't find what he's looking for. And then this woman comes in and she asks 
She tells him a meeting's happening. He mentions he can't find a pump handle. Yes, and it ends up being a pump handle from the first cholera outbreak that was studied extensively by scientists. Yeah, she finds it for him. He asks what he would do without her. On a, on a filing shelf. Yeah. Filing cabinet? Yeah. Cabinet. He says she is her savior, whatever. She says, yeah. Then we see him talking to a room full of people. Just the anecdote of this and whole he, cholera outbreak. Yeah, he's just talking about the cholera outbreak and being like, if a doctor or a nurse messes up, one person will die. If you mess up, thousands, thousands of people die. die. Then he pulls out a vial, implies that it's cholera, throws it towards the woman from before she catches it, but everyone in the room is terrified, because why the fuck would you throw a sample of cholera? And then he's like, calm down, it's just scotch. Throw it back, she does. They all kind of laugh, joke. And then his good mood is immediately ruined when a woman walks in and just kind of looks at him. Yep, so we cut from this to a meeting room where the doctor who he threw the vial to is there. He is there. The woman that came into the presentation at the end is there. And a military man is there as well. And another woman. Doreen is there. Oh, Doreen's in the room? Yeah. Shit, my bad. And this military man is explaining the situation. A military man's apparently named Serge. Sergio. I just called him military man. Yeah. He explains that they got a distress call from Arctic Biosystems Research Base above the 83rd parallel and that they got in contact with the CDC. They were going to be joining the CDC in a joint operation to help and them out. Dr. Allen's like, we that's not our problem. We can't go there. We have no jurisdiction. Nope. Oh, is that Julia? Nope. That's Sarah. Sarah says that. Oh. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who said that. I just noted that it was said by a CDC person. So Sergio's like, they gave us permission, so we're going to go. They requested Dr. Walker. She suggested I bring on you, Dr. Farragut. And he explains a bit more of the situation. Actually, what I mean is he explains who he is because, of course, Dr. Allen has the alpha male apparently in the room. And as he will try to establish throughout the rest of these two episodes, by his stupidity when in situations, that he doesn't trust this guy because he doesn't have credentials. So... Sergio introduces himself. He is Major Sergio Balseros from the USAMRIID or the United States Army Medical Research Institution of Infectious Disease. It's easier just to call him military man. Yeah. And so when Dr. Farragut eventually gets around to asking Walker, who is the person that was requested by, assumedly, Arctic Biosystems, why she chose him, she was just like the third infected person because we learned three people are infected. Two of them are already dead. And... Turns out the third one's his brother, Peter. Yep. We then cut to the Arctic, and we get a... And it says... As a Chinook helicopter flies through the Arctic mm-hmm. landscape. And we get day one. So, the CDC sends Alan, who is our primary character so far. Julia, I forget her last name. Walker. Doreen, who is a veterinarian of some sort. Like, she studies how viruses transmigrate, I think is the term, from animals to humans. Zootronic? Yeah, zootronic viruses. Viruses mm-hmm. that can move from one species to another. Her name is Dr. Doreen Boyle. I didn't get her last name. She says it once. And then also Sarah, whose last name I also didn't get. Dr. Sarah Jordan. Sarah Jordan, that's right. And obviously military man is there with them. Major Sergio Balseros. And so Dr. Alan Furga is our protagonist, our main character. Yeah, I just call him Dr. F in my notes. But Sarah is the audience insert. She's why we get exposition. 
because that speech he was giving earlier, we forgot to mention, he's giving it to a room full of new CDC-filled officers or officers. So she is going out into the field. For the first time. In other words, the world filled with diseases and infections and viruses and all kinds of other gross things that can make you sick and feel bad. Yep, but Doreen is like, I see how you look at Dr. Allen. You have a thing for him, don't you? Also, I have no idea why I used that voice. Diseases and viruses are pretty fucked up. I, I don't know why I did the baby talk with it. No, it's a very good point. Like, I don't know what the fuck that was. I'm not trying to undermine it. Serious shit. So, Doreen also then info dubs that Alan used to be married to Julia. Because Sarah, Sarah says that uh, Alan never mentioned that he had a brother or that Julia was his ex-wife. Yeah, and she's like, oh yeah, that's because Alan walked in on Peter and Sarah fucking. Yeah. And while they're having this little conversation, Dr. Farragut, Dr. F. Allen, whatever you choose to call him, is giving everyone their positions and what they're going to be doing. Because Dr. Allen's in charge. Even though, you know, Dr. Walker was the one that was asked for. Yeah, so he has assigned himself and Sarah to look at the dead bodies and Peter to determine the effects of the illness. He has assigned Julia to investigate the cause of the illness. Which is a weird way to phrase it because he does call it the cause of the illness. And he has assigned Doreen to investigate the lab for the source of the illness. So Source and cause seem pretty fucking similar to me. They do indeed. So once they land, we're met by the evil scientist, Dr. Hiroshi Hitake. We get a moment of decent banter here where I had hope for characters. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Because all these characters are kind of flat. But in yes. this brief most moment, Doreen asks what Sergio's going to do. And he says that he is a systems engineer. And so he's going to be looking at the infrastructure to see any possible avenues for spread of disease. The air ducts, the sewage, any things like that. And she goes, oh, so you're a glorified plumber. To which he retorts, only if you're a glorified veterinarian. Yes. Decent, and- mildly decent, not great. Mildly decent banter. It's the best we get. And the helicopter lands and we're met by the evil scientist, Dr. Hiroshi Atake. And Daniel Averosa's? Yes, um, who's the head of security at this facility. Mm -hmm. After they land, the helicopter takes off again, leaving them behind. And Doreen's like, hey, that's our ride out of here. Where's it going? And Dan is like, only 200 miles away. Yeah, it gets to be negative 70 degrees outside. And he doesn't specify whether Fahrenheit or Celsius. But irregardless. So um, if it gets to be negative 7 degrees Celsius. 70? Yeah. If, if it gets to be that low, though, that wind turbines don't make sense. Wind turbines can be operated up until like negative 40 degrees or 30 degrees Celsius, I believe. Which is also typically the freezing point of fuel. Yeah, and those take maintenance and special tools to run that well. So if they can have the turbines running, they, they can definitely have the helicopter. No, they can't, though. Their turbines don't work. Yeah, no, they're just for show, Justice. Why are they turning? It doesn't make sense. They should be frozen. They're turning because they're pumping electricity and heat into them. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) This is the beginning of my problems with the science of the show. So before they're allowed to actually enter the facility, they have to be RFID chipped, which um, makes sense if you're like living and working here. Like, although there are court cases that establish that your employer can't require you to be injected with anything that's like, like they can require vaccines and stuff, but they can't require you to technologically augment your body. Which is what an RFID chip injection would be. I mean, they could, this company could be hiring anyone on. They just don't get assigned this position unless they are willing to do so. Yeah, anyways. So the CDC agents have to be RFID chipped, which is mm-hmm. um, fucking wild. Because <laughs> right. like the CDC is essentially volunteering to go out of their way. Out of their, uh, what's it called? Jurisdiction. Out of their jurisdiction to assist ABS with this outbreak. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, Why would you have to, like, RFID chip visitors to your facility? Why wouldn't you just have, like, visitor badges that have the RFID chip on the badge? Yeah. 
Also, as they were walking to this door that's an elevator down, uh, we learned that Hiroshi has not instated any quarantine of any kind because he believes it's not airborne. But um, he, he doesn't say they tested for it. He just believes it's not airborne. Yep. And then we get in the elevator and start going down a lot of floors deep into the ice. So they enter through a tunnel, which is the entrance to the tunnel is flat with the snow landscape around them. As I said, the building looks to be 20 to 30 feet tall, so two to three stories. So they're going down to, we know there are all the way down to level G, at least in this building. Which would be eight floors. Assuming that the very top of this building is A, and then B, then C, so the top three stories above ground are A, B, C, while still going down five stories into what would seem to just be ice, because the map that they showed earlier shows them above the 83rd parallel, which parallels our latitudes on Earth, and the 83rd parallel is like, the only land it lines up with is like the very top of Greenland, it's a tiny little island and some gravel uh, bars, so areas of land that aren't stable, and it appears to be to the east of those on the map, so not, not land. So what you're saying is, rather than like being underground or under ice, it's actually a giant like tube that is underwater. So if a wall breaks, it's no, no, like it might, ice it might be in very, very like solid ice. It's just that's not considered land according to what I found. You can still have ice in that section. It's just not counted as land. It wouldn't be a land mass. It's a giant ice mass. So they might be just five stories deep in ice, which is in not safe, especially on the scale that they have built. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I think it's kind of impossible. <laughs> right? Like, it's definitely not impossible to, like, dig a straight hole down that far in ice, but to hollow out as much as they would have had it hollow out to make this laboratory, this building. Which, the middle of it seems to be hollow for no reason, because we get a good, it's one of those annoying glass elevators where we just see a bunch of shit that doesn't appear to serve any purpose. Yeah, which also doesn't make sense, because we never see that central column again. Also, everything in this place is straight, despite the fact that the building is circular. Yes. Anyways, <laughs> while we're writing down this elevator, we, we learned that there are 121 people that work at Arctic Biosystems, 106 scientists and researchers. From 35 different nations. And 15 support staff, which would include your security and... Janitorial and food service individuals. It doesn't sound like that's enough support staff for 106 people. It's not. Because we know there's at least like three or four security people. So that cuts down to 11 support there's staff. There's more support staff in Antarctic bases that have like maybe 20 scientists. Yeah, like... They're making these scientists do more than just work in lab. And even then, 15 staff members, assuming that the security is not even counted in there for some reason, just so you have 15 general support staff, that, that's not enough to clean the massive size of this building even. No, I think you could get away with... Well, like, they'd also you, be like, responsible with stocking and moving things and the general preparation yeah, storage like, of things. and Logistics like, and... Yeah, they generally have off-site storage areas because it's easier that way. So you would have it out in the snow, which there doesn't appear to be any out buildings either. You have to have maintenance for the wind turbines, which they don't seem to have either. On 15 is not enough people. Exactly. Your engineers might be scientists. That one's a possibility. But are I doubt your, it. Are your, science, are your engineers biologists yeah no these they're a they're literally called arctic bio systems that's the name of the company yeah yeah but if they're trying to boast the number of scientists they have working in the area they're going to label their their scientists that are actual doctorates or engineers that can label themselves as scientists scientists because it makes them look better anyways we then move to a locker room scene where alan and julia are taping up their hazmat suits mm-hmm and they have a discussion about Julia and Peter's last encounter, like the last time they saw each other. Yeah, and which this was apparently that they fucked. Is just. 
fraught with issues. Like, not just, like, story issues, continuity issues, but... This scene is clearly multiple takes, just stitched together, and it's bad. Like, you can tell when they change to what was a different cut, because it's so jerky. And the worst offender is there's a portion in this scene where, after having taped down her gloves to the suit, Alan hands over the roll of tape to Julia so she can tape his gloves on. And her first of two lines here is, I'm worried. And as she says that, she takes the tape and puts it around his right glove. And then immediately we go back to his arm is now back in his lap and he has the tape, hands it to her. His glove is undone. And her next line is, it's not him I'm worried about, referring to Pete. And she tapes it back up again, which I'm fine if you're retaping the same thing. Again, happens all the time with continuity. It's the fact that his arm goes from blatantly up to just immediately in his lap. In seconds, he goes from handing her the tape and his arm is up to his arm is back down. He's handing her the tape. Yep. I was just going to let you handle that because I know you had a lot of issues with it. It irritated me to no fucking end. Like, wasn't super involved in the show, but the moment that hit, I was just so fucking jarred and like unable to pay attention to it then alan and julia proceed to the isolation room where they have peter um the quarantine room where they have peter mind you um there's, there's three people we see three people in this scene in hazmat suits but we never see sarah suit up but she's in the background and never interacts with anything mm-hmm. because sarah's with them throughout the beginning part of this episode uh peter and julia then at- sorry alan and julia then attempt to talk to peter mm-hmm. try to get an idea of his symptoms because with humans the best way to get an idea of symptoms is to have your subject report Report them themselves. Mm-hmm. And when they walk in, they immediately note that Peter's vitals are bad and he's probably going to die. Yeah. And we can see that his veins are black. There's like a bit of black blood leaking from the corner of his mouth. Is it blood or just like ichor? I assume it's blood, but who knows? Maybe he's turning into a machine. It could be oil. It could be glistening oil. <sighs> He does cause infect. Phyrexian oil. I acknowledge he caused infect. We don't need to continue magic bullshit. Anyways, you're probably right. It is blood because as they're talking to him, Julia goes to pull a blood sample. While she's pulling the blood sample, he freaks out and tells Alan that what happened to him happened in the white room. And he doesn't want to go to the white room. And he does, Yeah, he doesn't want to go back to the white room. When Julia pulls the blood sample, she notices the blood is black. And when she does, Peter freaks out, grabs the vial of his own blood. Pulling the needle with it out. So it's still in the plastic leaves that they slide the vial into so the blood will drain into it and then he tries to inject his blood into his brother Mm -hmm. all the entire time screaming everyone lies everyone lied everyone lies everyone lied meanwhile from the start of this scene which this is another thing that bothers me so we saw three people the one in the very back was obviously sarah in the suit then we only ever see two people again in the scene in peter's room and sarah is in a room with daniel watching them oh yeah she's outside the room and she's talking to daniel but in the beginning of the scene she was in a fucking hazmat suit behind them yeah and she's like so you guys have a t1 connection so that we can get our data back to atlanta and dan's like no she's like oh it's gonna take forever and he's like we have a better connection than that t1 is so outdated we have to have a better connection because we only have internet one hour a day when the satellite properly lines up with us and she's like wow you know a lot about medicine and science and he's like yeah dr hataki taught me everything because he adopted me i'm dr hataki's adopted son I've been um, with him as long as I can remember. The man doesn't talk medicine at any point here. And the, the technology he talks is kind of the basic thing you would know if you have to, I don't know, send data. Or, like, even use the internet at all. Yeah. 
He's the head of security. He should probably at least know the basic thing of like, yeah, no, we can't connect over this time. Like, okay. Anyways, Peter's well, freak so out is stopped by Julia injecting him with a tranquilizer of some sort. Mm-hmm. We then cut to the locker room where Julia, Sarah, and Alan are all out of hazmat suits and kind of just reacting to Peter's freak out and all the like symptoms that Peter has and stuff. There's no real dialogue here. They're just kind of like emoting. Yeah. And then we cut to Doreen and Serge and they are looking through Pete's lab. And um, the guard with them is Dan. So it has to happen after the Pete freak out. Is it Dan? Yes. Wild. I did not know that i i didn't recognize it at first but on our second time well my second time through because i watched it before josh did when sergio talks to him about when doreen asks him about monkeys uh it like subtitled that up sergio that replied because he was off screen ah not sergio um dan Dan. yeah no it's dan so it has to have happened after the pete thing also means i have no idea what the fuck doreen and sergio are doing also there are no monkeys there are no monkeys there are no monkeys at this research station there are no monkeys inside the walls the really confusing thing about this scene for me is while doreen is examining the rats she notices that they have no sexual organs and that not like not like they're like neutered or spayed but just like they've been genetically modified to not have sex organs dan even straight up says that and dan's like yeah it's to make them more reliable as control groups said it makes them easier to control not that they're more reliable control group. i assume he implies that now the rats don't fuck and make new rats which is not like depending on the research you want to do you you want that to happen I it was, also replenishes your supply of rats i, I was pretty sure he, he mentioned that it made them more reliable nope makes them easier to control either way it's stupid and if you're genetically modifying an organism before doing research can you be sure that your research like you're, accurately you're throwing applies? up your fucking research yeah like aren't you changing the research data set yeah, so she then asks him where the monkeys are, and he's like, like there what, are no monkeys. What if the thing you're testing has an effect on sexual organs? Like, you're not going to know that if you've genetically modified your test subjects to not have sexual organs. Yeah, no, it's a problem. Like I said, there's something wrong with every tiny little bit of science so far I've seen in this show. Even the RFID chips, when they're inserted, there's something wrong with it. Acceptable, though, because I assume most people don't know what the thing they're using is. But they, they just use a pipette to insert them. One of the nice fancy pipettes that stops your dosage size. So like how much you can take in of whatever you're picking up. But yeah, it's not a needle. It's not an injection system at all. It's a pipette with no tip on it. It's just the, it's just the end. The the end is just the plastic that it uses. I'm sorry. I said I don't have a problem. I have a tiny bit of a problem. Anyways, we're back with Julia, Sarah, and Alan. And they are back in their hazmat suits. And they're checking out the corpses that are the first two victims of whatever this virus is. Yeah, which, um, so what happened to that whole plan Alan had? Well, you see, technically speaking, Julia's in charge, so nobody's listening to Alan. Yeah, because Julia, because the people that are supposed to be with him when checking in on Pete and the bodies is Sarah. But Sarah was only briefly in the room and then teleported out of her suit and into a control room earlier. No, she was still in her suit. No, she wasn't. She was not in her suit when she was talking to Dan in the little observation room. You're right. Continuity yeah. error. She just teleported away, and now Julia's in this one, even though she's supposed to be doing something else. I don't normally mind continuity errors, but some of these ones in this first episode are kind of egregious anyways they open up the bag the body bag that has the first victim in it and he is now just or she sorry they are just now a skeleton and with black goo black ichor yeah like maybe like an oil that might be corrupting machinery and stuff and slowly taking over the planet 
Who knows? I mean, if arguably it's entirely possible these people are quick, are very quickly turning it into oil, maybe what um, this entire biosystems research group is trying to do is find a way to turn dead bodies into oil as quickly as possible to help fuel the fossil f- industry. That's stupid. <laughs> I just came up with it off the top of my head. I knew it was dumb, but I liked the stupid idea. So upon seeing the skeleton in Black Igor, Sarah throws open her helmet. It's like she's never seen a body liquefy and turn into black ooze before it's not even like she can smell it. it's like she's she's never played a rest evil game or something honestly i think a skeleton and black goo would be less revolting than like just a rotting corpse yeah mm-hmm. but she just th- throws up inside of her hazmat suit so then we come back to the locker room where they've all taken off their hazmat suits and she's apologizing for throwing up and they continue to discuss the potential of this being a retrovirus and what it's doing and how it works and how it's like causing bodies to degrade so quickly and they're all just like i've never seen anything like this before and julia asks alan if he thinks it's a retrovirus and he's like i don't know it might be a hemorrhagic fever ebola marburg but none of that explains the the, the whole sludge thing then we cut to doreen and Serge and Doreen's reach the conclusion that the virus is, in, is indeed not airborne because there's a lack of transmission between the rats and different cells. Yeah, the plastic containers that the rats are in are, have linked airways and are basically sealed for the most part, other than that they allow in a small minimal amount of air to keep the rats alive, obviously, but most of the air will be contaminated with the air that the other rats breathe and it will be transmitting through and through, and the other rats have not developed the infection. Yep. And while she's noticing this, Serge is like checking the sink drains. And when she when he does, Doreen somehow notices from across the room. In the, the U-pipe of the sink. That there is monkey hair. Mm-hmm. And she recognizes it as monkey hair. As particularly rhesus macaque hair. Doreen's got really good eyesight. That's all I gotta say on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Then in Dr. Hitake's office... Julia is looking for him. She's like, Dr. Hitake, where are you? I need to talk to you. Also, we learn here, if you didn't already know, that monkeys are really, really good about transmitting diseases from animals to humans. Yeah, it's almost like... And humans are really good at transmitting human diseases to monkeys. It's almost like they're one of the closest living relatives to humans. Yeah, but they felt the need to explain that. But but they didn't feel the need to explain what a retrovirus was at any point. Yeah, because that's just science buzzwords. It's like Big Bang Theory. You just say words like are not and <laughs> retrovirus. So a retrovirus is a virus that is essentially composed of RNA that then injects and changes the DNA structure of a cell that then causes it to reproduce with a flaw in the DNA structure, producing more of the RNA that is the virus and allows it to spread like that. AIDS, HIV are both retroviruses. They can be pretty deadly, but they're also pretty useful. So it kind of makes sense that you could see a retrovirus in a research lab like this, because retroviruses, if fixed of their negatives, basically, they can be used as a way to transport genetic information that we want into a cell. So it makes sense that a retrovirus is our cause at this research lab. Yeah. Because it'd be an easy way to inject any information they wanted to add to a cell. But back to Julia in Hitake's office. Hitake walks in and he's like, and he's standing in front of his windows. And he's like, isn't the Arctic so beautiful? It's silent. There's nobody around. And Julia's like, yeah, it's almost like you came up here because there's no regulatory bodies that would impose sanctions on you when you're doing research this far north. 
And he's like, ah, oh, ha, ha, no, we, we came up here just for um the isolation it provides. Yep. And then Julia's like, okay, but I need to know what Peter was researching, like, mm-hmm. because we, we need to figure out what, what happened and how he got sick like this. And then Hitake basically drops a box on her and is like, this is his research. And no, there's 27 more of these. And Do she's we- like, oh, is that all? And he's like, no, 27 more boxes. And she's like, well, I'm not going to go through all that right now. And he's like, not my problem. And then she's like, do you know what he was working on? And he's like, mutagen. Nothing from there, just mutagens. He, That's it. He was studying cigarettes, Justice. It's possible. Who fucking knows? Because cigarettes contain carcinogens, and carcinogens are a specific class of mutagen. Yep. Mutagens are very, very, very fucking ba- vague. It, it's literally anything that can cause like a genetic. Oh, actually, mutagens aren't vague. They come in red, blue, and green mutagens, and red mutagens boost your attack power, and blue mutagens boost your sign um, intensity, and green mutagens boost your max health. Easy. Mutagens are generally chemical or radiation-based, and they cause mutations, who would have guessed, in the genetic material. Hence, mutagen. Yeah, the rare drops you get from killing monsters. That too. And you can use some of them to make decoctions and potions and poisons. Yeah. So he says Pete was working on mutagens, and then he just randomly asks Julia if she has kids. She's like, no. And um, that... Yeah. Then we cut to Alan, and he's in Peter's living quarters. And while he's looking at a picture of him and Peter as they were, as kids, which do those heads look like they were photoshopped poorly onto that picture to you? Yes, and one of the two children look Asian. Okay, I thought I thought the same thing. Which is wild because they're both white. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, Sarah walks in to discuss the tissue samples from the first two victims. Yeah, taking tissue samples from the first two victims. And Alan's like, okay, I'll, I'll get to that. And he continues to search the room. He finds a flash drive. Mm-hmm. And when he one of the long, annoying, old flash drives that no one really uses anymore. Yeah. Um, even though the show is like 2014, the, 2015 at a high-tech research facility. I think it's actually 2016, maybe. You can continue, I'll check. But. but like, so this flash drive, he plugs it into Peter's laptop, which is unlocked. And apparently using a very old OS. And is a touchscreen. He opens up the flash drive and finds video files and opens one and starts playing it. And it's basically a vlog. Peter's a vlogger. He's vlogging his day-to-day life. And... It's 2014. Oh, 2014. My bad. And in this blog, um, Peter's making a sign where he's tapping his chest. Mm, with like two fingers up and a thumb up, tapping over his heart. And Sarah's like, oh, what's that? And Alan's like, it's a sign he used to make when our dad would come home drunk, which was basically all the time. And it means run like hell. Yeah. He also mentions that he's been seeing someone named that he refers to as T. Which my assumption is um that lady we meet in the Dr. second episode. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Tracy. Tracy. Yep. That's my assumption. Only because it's the only T name we have so far. Anyways, a person shows up to tell them that, that there's an issue with Peter and that they need to go back to the quarantine area because they need to check on Peter. Mm-hmm. By check on Peter, I mean Peter's gone. He tore a hole in an air vent and vanished. Yeah. And took uh, a bone saw with him. Yeah. Hiroshi kind of complains because Alan left a bone saw really close to a guy. Bone saw is ready. So I don't know if he tore his way into the air duct or used the bone saw to cut his way in, but either way, that's a pretty strong feat of strength. So neither, because if you look at the air duct it's been like torn from the inside out like the way the metal's bent is out yeah it's bent down into the room but you could do that with the bone saw you use to get in and then you grab and pull down i don't know why he cut it into like four sections almost like if you were punching a straw through the lid of a fucking mcdonald's cup bone saw is ready actually it kind of makes sense to pull it down because we see how tight those air vents all <laughs> are later if you pushed up into it you wouldn't have room to go forward or backwards anyways they're gonna f- close the ducts and flood them with the gas to knock him out and deactivate 
deactivate his RFID chip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know why you deactivate it. I assume they can locate people with them. That feels like something they would do. Obviously not. Or they would have done it already. Or they don't care about doing it. Dun, dun, Anyways, dun. at this point, Doreen and Serge continue looking for monkeys because they found monkey here. Mm-hmm. And then they find an area that denies them entrance, even though they're supposed to have full clearance in the facility. They find it immediately after Serge is doubting that there's monkeys. And because after all, they have full access. So they should have found some by now. And, you know, instead of doing the logical thing, like we suspect Dr. Hotake as an evil scientist because his actor is very good at delivering lines like an evil scientist. Hiroyuki Sonata is a great actor. But they should have no reason to suspect him of being an evil scientist. And even if you're like, he fucking lied to us, he's hiding something. Well, it's not your jurisdiction. And, like, at this point, you can just be like, you can just go to Dr. Hitake and be like, hey, I thought we had full access. There's this area we can't get to. Why can't we get to this? What is in there? Oh, you don't want help? We'll bounce. Cool. Thanks, bro. Yeah, it's not like Alan doesn't threaten that exact thing in the next episode. <laughs> right. But, uh, no. Surge goes and finds some liquid nitrogen that's just there. Just on a cart mm-hmm. next near, near this door. Puts it on the lock. And busts it open. Mm-hmm. Let's hope this wasn't locked for a reason. And then they find a bunch of monkey cages with mm-hmm. monkey feces and monkey smell. And then they find a monkey. Uh-huh. And it doesn't it's really have hair. And it attacks Doreen. Yep. And then Serge hits it with his flashlight? Uh, metal pole he picked up while they were in there. Like, mm-hmm. like, it's just a pipe. I couldn't tell if it was, like, a maglite or a pipe. Yeah, he picks up a pipe while they're looking through the monkey room because they see the monkey and they chase it and they corner it in a cage. it's smarter than normal. Yeah. Clever girl. Um, the whole time this is going on, Alan has volunteered to crawl in the vents and look for Peter, even though that's definitely a job for security. Volunteered is a strongly incorrect word. Insisted. He is the one who goes into the air ducts to get his brother. Good point. He doesn't, he's always in control. He, it's, I'm going to go into the air vents where my seemingly crazy brother is uh, hiding with a bone saw. And while he's in the vents, he finds black mucus and is like, oh, hey, look. I'm going to follow it. Peter was here because he's leaking black mucus. Or fluid. Yeah, but he calls it mucus. Yeah. And he follows this black mucus to a dead body who is definitively not Peter. Nope. And the guy is missing his uh, right forearm. Because they deactivated Peter's RFID and Peter was like, I'm going to kidnap the security guy, cut his hand off, and then hide the body in the air vent. Yeah. Now he has a new RFID. Yay! Also, a thing we forgot to mention, when the monkey gets murked, its throat also does the weird throbby, groany, oscillation-y thing. Yeah, it kind of sounds like a demon. Like, supernatural, mm-hmm. like... Yeah. And so, then, back with Alan. Alan and Daniel and Hiroshi get the body out. You know what's wild here? They immediately recognize the body. Mm-hmm. It is a member of Daniel's security team. And they're like, why did he cut the hand off? What's going on here? These are supposed to be smart people. So... so- I don't know if they say he cut his if they cut his arm off because later Daniel mentions that Peter ripped his arm off, but th- there's a, there's a bone saw next to the guy. No, he he mentions that he ripped his head off, which is not I don't know what he he said head. Okay, but I don't know who he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, no one has their head ripped off. I because c- no one dies that we see at any point. Like, well, I mean, the security guard dies. Yeah, but like his head's not ripped off, and in this scene, I, I question it because in this scene, the bone cells right next to the body. Yeah, and Alan is wondering kind of to himself i think i don't think he says it to anyone else how peter's so strong now yeah but we have seen no actual indication about how strong he is besides me like we we don't know what grade quality these air ducts are we just know he got into them but he had a metal instrument to well cut no, into. We, we get the um we, we know he's strong 
stronger now because he was restrained with like straps on the bed and he tore those out before he got the bone saw. The bone saw he grabbed after he broke his restraints. Uh, okay. That's the sign of his Th- That's strength. not much of a question to know. Like we have normal people who do that every day just being hopped up on drugs. Yeah, but before like within the same day period, he was previously so weak he was almost di- dead. True, true, true. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And now he's super strength breaking restraints but this brings me back to my point where they know this security guard had his arm cut off with his rfid in it and they don't deactivate that rfid well i mean everyone we see up to this point and in the next episode their rfid is in their left hand the security guard is missing his right arm okay but how did peter know to take the right arm i don't know apparently this one security guard has his rfid in the other arm because peter does use this arm later and successfully get into places apparently he picked the one person who has their rfid chip in the other hand no one else knows about it yeah so like i said all these smart people are like why did he cut off his arm i don't get it yeah so we see julia back at the lab that their cdc team is using yeah sarah and julia are examining the tissue samples yeah and julia is just telling sarah that oh alan picked a good one and blah 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 and sarah's just like i'm not into him romantically and julia's like i would have said the same thing like eight years ago but you know and then sarah's just kind of brushes that off and she's just like when julia's saying she can't match this virus to any known structures can't find any known structures that should be a virus about like viruses from prehistory that have been found in frozen samples and how they are noticeably different have, have different structures and they find a tubular 15 millimeter struck not millimeter but a fi- uh, 15 fi- nanometer yeah 15 nanometer structure smaller than any known virus yeah so they're like we gotta go get alan and show him this because he's in charge apparently then we see Serge in his room setting up some communication like tools yeah he's assembling a tiny satellite from parts that was apparently hidden in his clothing and then he goes outside to like make an upload or send some information. It appears to be an encrypted message from a phone. And while he's outside, he comes across a field of dead monkey. Yeah, um, it's a bunch of frozen macaques, and they appear to have been alive when they were frozen, just based off their face and the varying different poses, which makes me wonder, does the virus, which appears in, I assume, to have a hive mind, because we see we hear plural us's and stuff later from people, and they all mention a white room. Do they just think the snow is a white room, and they don't want to freeze again? Uh, I think... I doubt it, but I would just be amused if their entire fear is based off the fact that they don't understand what outside is. I think it's just that negative. 70 degrees fahrenheit when you're a monkey with no fur is going to freeze you to death pretty fast yeah but they're not very far from the base at all they would have gotten a bit farther not necessarily anyways then we see dr hitake spying on the cdc people as they discuss the significance of this smaller than previously recorded virus Mm mm-hmm and they're talking about how the virus appears to change the structure of what it takes over. So it's changing Peter, but they don't know in what way it's changing. And at this time, Surge comes in to the room that Hiroshi's in. And he's like, so the CDC interference is making our boss unhappy. Yeah. And Hiroshi's just like, the delivery is still going to happen on time. And Surge goes, the delivery uh, schedule has changed because the CDC is here. Now I have to clean up this mess. Yeah. So Surge, the army guy, has similar bosses to Hiroshi. They're working for the same people. Also, apparently the work that Surge did in other places when he was apparently doing WMD stuff and whatnot and in South America with drug cartels, at least one of those two would assumably have also been for the same people because Hiroshi asks if um, the weather is like affecting his work differently. Yep. Um, we then cut to Peter and... 
and he uses the hand he cut off the security guy to access the sunroom, which he mentioned in his vlog is where him and T typically meet. Mm-hmm. Um, UV therapy, baby. And he promptly murders somebody. We see blood splatter on a... Well, maybe not murder. We hear a scream and blood splatters, but we don't get any information that anyone is dead. Yeah, in the next episode, we don't get any um, information that people died. Just blood splatter and a scream, which would imply somebody died, but the show is bad, so obviously in, in that's fact, not what happened. In fact, only stats we get based on people numbers are that at a point Hiroshi says he has 120 people other people in the space to protect yeah. um, which he would have 121 counting Pete but he's discounting Pete in this situation well he said others so I think he's just discounting himself 120 other people the way he says it seems to imply he's not including Pete because Pete's the viewed threat here mm-hmm. so either way he's not counting either himself or Pete and we know he's not counting the CDC people but so in this number of people that need protecting he's also counting the two dead bodies that we do know exists mm-hmm. so we have no other information of anyone died because that's the only time we get reference to the rest of the people there yep anyways what do you think of the first episode justice they don't science well they do not science well this is a fact that's not a thought i asked what you thought i think they science bad as bad as i english right now yeah i personally the show is kind of boring it's uh, not original in any way <laughs> This basic idea has been in so many video games and other movies. Yeah. Oh, a private research facility that doesn't have to follow basic rules calls in some people for help. And what do you know? It spirals out of control. These people you think can't it's a- control it. And there's some shadowy cabal in charge of everything. You think maybe it's a mansion in the outskirts of a small mountain town? And they get attacked by dogs as they land, and then they get trapped in the mansion and have to, like, figure out what's causing these people to reanimate after they die. Is that similar? Kind of, yeah. And there's, like, this guy who's in charge of this the research of the labs and stuff, and he allows his own employees to become infected just to see how well it works. Yeah, the, yeah, hmm. So all, all this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they made a movie series based off of this that was that was pretty bad. Honestly. Yeah, and in the movie series, they have a base that goes really far underground, even though it shouldn't. Yeah, and it, it's weirdly open in the very middle of it. I mean, yes. Anyways, um, I think our consensus is this first episode is boring and um, stupid. Honestly, like, that's the- not even rude. It's just bad science. Yeah. With the unoriginal ideas, the best thing the show could do, it doesn't. The best thing the show could do, in my opinion, is at least try to keep a tense atmosphere. Well, do you know how it could do that? By not revealing Surge as a traitor in the first episode? Or making Hiroshi seem like a blatantly bad guy so early on? I mean, if they they, they could, like, build Hitaki up as, a, as this bad guy. Make some tense moments and stuff, but they don't do it. And then, like, later reveal that he's actually a good guy. Like yeah, that, that, but that. It, even if they reveal he's a good guy now, it doesn't it doesn't do anything because we had no bill or suspension or, or su- suspicion or anything. It's just well, he, we he know he's spying on them via mm-hmm. um, two way mirrors. He's working he, for some ambiguous boss. Yeah, and by the end of the next episode, he's like stepped from being evil scientist to being from being evil creepy st- stalker guy, and, and he steps from being evil scientist Wesker to evil scientist Wesker with weird creepy non human eyes. I mean, that was a sp- Spoiler for episode two. I, was... I, I, don't, I don't. I don't care. Anyways, episode two They're is entitled Vector. They should be used to spoilers. Day two. Um, the people that were in the sunroom at Arctic Biosystems are all like we're jumping between each of them and kind of. Are like... we infected? Are we gonna die? Can we leave yet? Yep. And there's three of them. And there's three additional people from the attack that ran away before they could be quarantined. Yeah, the three people who are being quarantined are Doctor Haven, Doctor Bryce, and Doctor Selenumi. I didn't, I didn't get any of their names because I don't care about them. What I do care about is right after this, Alan's like, 
Well, Peter attacked six people and managed to potentially infect six people. So the R0 value of this virus is now six. So we can expect so, 18 new cases. Because, so with these three people escaping and potentially being infected, we could expect 18 more cases because of an R0 value of six, which is... um Not how R0 values work. Would you, would you like to explain R0 values? R0 is the passive spread of a virus given no active malicious spreading by a person infected. See, so, so the R0 six then, right? He, he infected six people? He infected six people, but that's because he attempted to infect six people. Can, can we also prove that he's infected these six people? No, we don't know if he infected the other three people. So, so, so we at can't even prove we don't... that there's any R0 value at all at the moment? No established R0 value? Exactly. So we don't even have an R not value of six. We have an R not value of X. Yeah, because we we don't know for sure yet. Um, just to give you an idea, here's some R not values we are aware of. Not in the show in real life. The, assumingly, the show uses the same R not values. Smallpox, for instance, has an R not value of three. So a person with smallpox can be expected if they do not take any quarantining measures or anything of the sort to pass it on to three more people. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, those three people would pass it on to three people each. Mm -hmm. It's exponential. So initial estimates for coronavirus, for example, was an R-naught value between two and two and a half. Still not great. Yeah, but something like measles has an R-naught value of 16 to 18. Mm -hmm. The best way I've heard R-naught explained, like ELI-5, explain it like I'm five. If If you have an illness that is airborne or... Like, if you can transfer it via simple mechanics, sneezing, coughing, so on, and you were to get in an elevator with 20 people, how many of those people would you infect just by being in the elevator with them without trying to infect them? By just being in the same space. Whereas what they've explained our not value as in this is you and 20 people are trapped in an elevator and you you have injected them all with a deadly pathogen. How many do you think have the deadly pathogen? And you intentionally sneeze in the face of all 20 people. Yeah. Except I like my comparison of injecting them with because they've already assumed all these people are absolutely infected with no proof. Yeah, um, exactly. I I literally had to stop with the episode for a moment when when I got to this. I was like, how hard is it to like like you suggested that they could have had an on staff like biologist or like pathologist, assumedly, but honestly. They could have just hired a doctor to like Someone, yeah. consult, and like the doctor, a, a, a general practitioner could have been like, "That's not how R not works." Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's that's true. Anyways, Julia and Alan then get into an argument about who's in charge, and I want to just point here: Alan is a dick. He thinks he's in charge because he's got a penis. That's it. There's no reason why he should be in charge. Yeah. He's only on this, like, mission. Because she was like, you know what? It'd probably be nice if you could go see your brother before he potentially just dies of a random virus. And you are in an odd position where as a senior doctor at the CDC, you can be allowed to do so by working the case. Yeah. I mean, they didn't need to send two of the six. Seven, because he says there's six other. Yeah, they didn't need to send two of the seven senior staff members that they have at the CDC to Arctic Biosystems. In fact, I assume Walker had to pull strings to have him assigned to a location where he has a family member. And with her. Because that is a conflict of interest given the fact that they're made to quarantine and separate people out. Well, and additionally, like, for two of the senior staff to, like, be deployed Mm -hmm. to, A, somewhere not within their jurisdiction, and B, together. And C, to the location of an individual that they are both tied to. Intimately intimately. involved with, yeah. Um, Anyways, she ends up storming off Mm -hmm. because 
he continues to act like he's in charge. Yeah. Alvin has Sarah stay in the isolation room with the three upset doctors who don't want to be quarantined. Doreen examines and dissects the monkey that um, Sturge killed when it attacked her. Mm-hmm. And Hiroshi gives Alvin the personal records of the missing of the three missing people. And then Alan, Sergio, and Daniel's yeah. security team and Daniel do a door-by-door search for the missing people. And Hiroshi, not Hiroshi, Daniel mentions that his security team will have stun batons and restraints. To which Alan's upset. Not Alan upset. Julie is upset because Dan mentioned this before they get in their fight. Mm. Julie is upset by it and Alan's just like, I mean, if that's what it's going to take, that's what it's going to take. And then that whole little spat happens. She walks off. Yeah, and we cut to Julia and she's not working with the rats to determine the actual rate of infection. Um, and we get like a cut of somebody in the vents watching her. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this was supposed to be Peter or not. I couldn't oh, tell. Oh, we, we do see his face, but for a bit, we can't tell well, who I it mean, is. It's the- we, we don't actually see his face. We see his face through vents, and I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be Peter or not. Oh, it, it's Peter. We, okay. we get like through the vent for a very brief moment at the end of the scene. But it does the classic long view stalker scene from odd angles. And then we cut to the title card with the upbeat music again. Yep. And then we cut to the quarantined individuals that Sarah has to babysit, essentially. They're upset that they're in quarantine. Um, Selenumi, I think that's how you say her name. I legit have no idea. I only saw it in the subtitles and I didn't really pay attention when they said it. Mm-hmm. Asks her how old she is and if she's even... And like insinuates that she's still a child and doesn't yeah. know what she's doing and jordan just fucking drops her credentials she's like i've got two fucking doctorates from mit i graduated at like the top of my class i have blah blah, blah fucking record i'm the, I, I'm the youngest young... hire in cdc a, in the cdc in years and, and i was handpicked by one of the senior doctors of the cdc to join this mm-hmm. so they, they all just shut up which um I feel like at some point or another, they all had to have their credentials questioned because it's kind of just that type of field. Yeah. So then Alan, Serge, and Dan start working to find the missing potential infected mm-hmm. people. They do and this by going to Tracy's room first. Dan shakes out his electric stun baton and mentions that, don't worry, Doc, it's not going to be fatal. We use the, we use these on polar bears all the time. So um, why are they attacking polar bears? Because I assume the polar bears aren't coming near them. Because they're not like an Arctic research group. They're not studying the environment around there. They are just holed up there to avoid regulatory laws. And the only place they should be going outside, because they don't appear to have any area stations where they should probably keep supplies, given general Arctic or Antarctic setups for stuff, which they just don't appear to do. The only places they need to go are their six wind turbines that shouldn't be working. Yes. I'm more confused by the fact that if a stun baton has the power to deter a polar bear, like, if you, if you just shock the polar bear, that's going to start a fight. Right. And a polar bear is going to kill your ass. Mm-hmm. So it They're has to be- They're not afraid a, of humans. They haven't been exposed enough. So if it's enough electricity to deter a polar bear, I'm pretty sure that's enough to kill a person. Just- Yeah. Or seriously injure, at least. So they get into Tracy's room, and it's just kind of, it's empty of people, but it is a very trashed-looking room. But they find, like, those eye caps you wear in suntan beds, mm-hmm. and they're like, obviously she came back here after the sunroom. And then they notice that the window is cracked, and it looks like someone was trying to break it out. Although, if they have a sunroom in the facility, mm-hmm. couldn't the eye caps be from any other time she went to the sunroom? Yes. That's what I thought. So they conclude she was trying to escape the base. Then we cut to Doreen, mm-hmm. who hears somebody in the room with her. Yeah. And 
after we also a get another creepy long stalking shot from through the gate because she is doing her autopsy in the lab where the monkey was it looks like mm-hmm. which just feels needlessly far away from everyone yep but after some tense moments we eventually get the reveal that dr tracy is the one that's been kind of stalking doreen mm-hmm. and she attempts to kind of question doreen she asks who she is what she's doing here it's, she's very she's having a very paranoid episode here mm-hmm. And continually refers to herself in the plural. We, us, us, yeah. She doesn't want to go to the white room like Dr. Hivit, which we have no idea who that. We legit never learn in these two episodes. I think Hivit's one of the dead bodies. I mean, maybe. I don't know. And then she asks Dorian to promise to help her leave via the helicopter. And Dorian's like, yeah, I'll even let you ride shotgun. And then the then Tracy calls her a liar because there's no helicopter. And Dorian's just like, I know, but I could call one. And uh, Tracy's just angry and calling her a liar yep so then we cut to dr hitake and julia Mm -hmm. should mention that we cut to them because when we were last with julia and she was being stalked by peter who was in the air vents she heard something in the vents and so she kind of just quits doing what she's supposed to do to go be with other people in this case hitake and she is watching videos of pete's lab and in this video the shelving with all the rat cages in it just like jumps off the wall yep basically it looks like shitty ghost footage but not like off the wall because they aren't attached to the wall. They are next to the wall, but they are standing on their own legs. Yeah. And rather than like it being implied that a ghost moved it, obviously, it's the rats have gotten so strong that like they could throw themselves against the glass container and pull the entire shelf down with them. Yeah, they don't say that, but that's what it implies. And just before we see that happen, she hears a noise and jumps and Hiroshi explains it away as the base settling, which given the fact this thing is dug into ice... Just, just ice. I don't, I don't want to know that that's common, that that is it. Settling, do you know what settling means in ice? Settling in general in building means it's changes the way it's sitting generally because the ground shifts a bit, which is why you get cracks and foundations and such. It's the beams changing the angle of where it supports. Or like in ice, that means we've applied pressure in a different spot. Something's going to crack soon and we're all going to die. Well, in houses, a lot of times settling is just like... The wood expanding with the heat or... The wood expands with the heat or strength with the cold. Yeah. The ground might shift a bit, so you might see a bit of a crack in, like, the foundation around it, but it's not bad because it's built to, like, design for that fact. But, um, ice isn't stable, really? Yep. Anyways, um, the quarantined individuals with Sarah... Well, I mentioned that because Hiroshi also then tries to pass off the cages... Oh, yeah. ...as the facility settling again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, then the quarantined individuals that Sarah's babysitting are continuing to give her trouble and one of the three of them are experiencing symptoms so sarah's like hey where can i get morphine he needs morphine and honestly i don't know what type of illness you can have in 2014 where the medical need you have is morphine he just appears to be in a lot of pain we don't know anything other than that so she's just like morphine get him to shut the fuck up like i don't know why her first thought for a sedative is morphine or her first thought for a painkiller is morphine yeah Uh, that's like being like a bunch of different things that's almost like being I mean, I, it's not quite like that, but it's almost like being, oh, this person needs to stay awake because if they sleep, their injury could get worse. Meth. Um, and the doctor's first thought is, better go get you some cocaine. I mean, more like crystal meth. It's a bit more addictive. Yeah, like morphine. Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes down to do that, which that is apparently in the drug cage on level G. G yep. Which um, the isolation area is set up to be more of a, they have their ICU thing there it's an icu chamber that they have there why would you keep your drug so far away from what is your intensive care unit plot contrivance that's why you know what that makes sense so then we go back to serge dan and alan and serge is tackling a 
Dr. C- De Clark. Yep. Of who, the aerosol division. Who is one of the three people that ran away from the sunroom after Peter's attack. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a bunch of other like scientists and people that are at the station. Who were told to stay in their rooms. Come out into the hallway and they're like, well, you didn't have to be so rough with him. God, Agab. Is, is he infected? Are you going to get us evacuated? So, sorry, um, Agab. All guards are bastards. My bad. Yeah, yeah. You didn't have to be so rough with him. Jesus Christ. Wait, is he infected? Are we going to die? Are you going to get us out of here? And Dan doesn't give a shit about this. Neither does Serge. Yeah, Dan and Serge just like grab Pick this him person, go and to slap him, him on a gurney, and take him to the quarantine room. Tell the others to get back in the room. And, and then Alan's just like, look, we're doing the best we can. And the guy's like, you're not doing the best you could. You could evacuate us all. And Alan goes, yeah, I could evacuate you all. No, Alan gives some hyperbolic Yeah, we could have you all evacuated. And then the nurses and doctors would go home and spread it to their kids, and the kids would spread it, so on and so forth, blah, 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 blah. Everyone gets infected, and like, in like four weeks, the entire world's infected. I think in the case of an unknown virus outbreaking, actually, I'm, I'm about 100% sure this is the case. If an unknown virus outbreaks and people show up with symptoms at a hospital, the doctors and nurses don't get to go home. Yeah, they are just like quarantined. Yeah, with the patient. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, what's the point in quarantining the patient? But it's only if they know it's an infectious disease. Otherwise, if it's just a one person here or there, they can't really tell. However, they are being brought to the nearest hospital by the CDC. The CDC would then, of course, enact a quarantine, which is that yeah. thing they are already doing at this facility. Yeah. So those doctors and nurses wouldn't go home. You would be in the same situation you are now, but without your nice little rooms that you probably have catered to your own personalization and comfort. And fun fact, it's your own. You're not sharing it with other people. So after he convinces them to go back to their rooms... Julia's like, I haven't heard that speech since 1995. She was standing on the corner listening to it. And he's like, I think it was 1996 in Johannesburg. Yeah. Then they get into an argument again. I don't remember what about. She mentions that she found something on the tapes. And he's like, you were supposed to be studying the rate of infection in the rats. He's just just like, why are you being a dick about this? I found something important. Is this because of all the shit that happened with Peter? And he's just like, no, that's not what this is about. She's just like, look, I found something. And he's just continuing to be a dick. She's just like, fuck it. And walks off. Yep. And then down on floor G... Sarah finds the morphine inside of the drug cage, which she has shut behind her, which is the appropriate protocol there, actually. Someone has done something correct for once. And then while she's in the cage getting the morphine, Peter drops out of a vent and he's just like, you're here for a reason. And she's like, what? Yeah, I went to the CDC. And she's no, not like, you. Walker. And she's he, here for a reason. He doesn't even say she's here for a reason. Yeah. He's like, you're here for a reason. And then he's like, no, not you. Walker. And then he just climbs back into the vent and disappears. He jumps. And we see him from the bottom of his feet angle. And, and they, they've chosen a weird choice here because it looks like he's wiggling upwards through the air. Yeah. Which is weird. So then Julia confronts Atake some more and they continue to be at odds because he won't divulge shit. And she's like, look, we can't help you unless you divulge shit. I know he wasn't working on mutagens. And so then we see her and she's found from Peter's notes that he injected the two perspective things of rat cages. One with two cc's of Narvik A and the other one with two cc's of Narvik B. So then her and Itake decide to go start recreating his experiment to see what's going on. Yeah, because she insists that it's necessary after she asks Hiroshi what it was for and everything. And he's just like, I have no clue. This man is the director of research and knows supposedly nothing about any of the research done in this facility. Then we cut to Doreen, who is still having a conversation with Tracy. And Dr. Tracy's like, 
she's not really having a conversation with Dr. Tracy. Yeah, that's fair. Dr. Dr. Tracy, Tracy is ranting at someone in front of her. Parano- paranoid delusions. Mm-hmm. Dr. Tracy talks about how she won't be blamed for this and that... They tried it- to make a perfect weapon. And then she had just attacks Doreen. Yeah. Tracy, in her little rant, says that they tried to make a perfect weapon, but they should have realized they couldn't control the virus and that they've lost control of it. Yep. Alan and Serge then show up to investigate the attack on Sarah. Um, uh, th- there's a bit more in that Tracy Doreen scene. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We so, don't know about the attack on well, Sarah yet. Tracy's doing that. Doreen tries to escape. Tracy pushes her down on the ground, tries to drop some of the black blood, black fluid into her mouth, but she's wearing a face shield. Mm-hmm. And then Doreen pushes her off, goes to escape. But as she does, Tracy falls to the ground, seemingly cognizant now, and Doreen hesitates. And that's what we see in that scene. And Tracy kind of has a breakdown while she's... Mm-hmm. And then Alan and Serge, who, I guess, Serge already took the fourth patient towards quarantine. I have no idea, man. It's unclear any of these timelines. They're very bad about lining up times. Alan and Serge hear about the fact that Sarah was accosted by Pete in the drug cage. Yeah. And they go down to meet her there. So I don't know who the fuck told them yeah, about it. So then they find proof that Peter left a trail in the vents. And that he seems to have self-medicated himself with morphine. And which, Serge goes in the vents this yeah. time, even though Alan's like, I'm going to go. And Serge is like, nah, dude. Nah, I'm going to go, but I'll put this GoPro on my head and you can watch. And Alan's pretty reassured by this fact that Peter was self-medicating, though, because at least he's cognizant enough to do that, to know where morphine is and to use it. Mm-hmm. So maybe he'll be willing to go back into isolation. Yep. But in the vents, Peter ambushes Serge and knocks him out somehow. Supposedly, they oh, both yeah. get hit by the stun baton. Yeah, when Serge comes out of the vent, he's like, must have hit us both with a stun baton when I was trying to get him. Yeah, but this entire time, Alan and Hiroshi appear to be watching, not Alan, not Hiroshi, Alan and Dan appear to be watching on iPads. Mm. And after Serge gets knocked out, we see the camera, he's now, it's black. And then when it comes back on, it's looking out of a vent. And as Alan walks forward, he walks towards a vent and he sees himself on it. And then we go up into the vent and we see Pete is looking down at him. Yep. So we then cut to Hitake and Julia and they're attempting to replicate Peter's experience on the rats. We find out that Narvik A has a near 100% mortality rate, whereas Narvik B has a 100% morbidity, morbidity rate, rate, but a 0% mortality rate. Which means when exposed, someone will become infected. infected. There's no chance of it being wrong. They will become infected. That is the morbidity rate. But they won't die from Narvik B. Yep. And then Hotaki says some stuff about how he's missed lab work and he really enjoys it. There's a freedom to it and to the curiosity. It's and just Jul- fun. Julia's like, my mom used to say stuff like that all the time. And he's like, oh, your mom? Was she also a scientist? And Julia's like, yeah, cellular biologist. And he's like, but she died when I was young. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, that's nice. What about your dad? And as she goes to answer, we see one of the Narvik B rats breaks through some glass. No, the Narvik B rat in question, like juggernauts its way through multiple tanks. It's like, I'm the juggernaut, yeah. bitch. These pins glass walls aren't going to stop yeah, me. Pins down an uninfected rat and latches its face to it to drop black fluid in its face, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, we forgot to mention, after they get Sergio out of the vents, they get alerted that someone has tried to leave the base. Yeah. So Alan, Sergio, and Dan are all going to figure out who's trying to escape. Back in quarantine, though, the quarantined individuals are all still being dicks to Sarah, despite the fact that she, like, mainly Bryce, laid the smackdown on them as she works to administrate morphine to the the guy who is obviously infected and the morphine doesn't appear to be doing anything so then the quarantine people attack sarah and demand she calls somebody to release them so that because they're tired of being in quarantine and don't think that's necessary yeah so alan breaks away alan and dan break away from sergio and hitake even well hitake wasn't with yeah hitake and security show up as yeah. well 
So they break away. Sergio goes to head outside. And then we cut to Hiroshi, who is speaking to Bryce and Suleimani and is telling them that you should let her go. The release team is working on an antiviral therapy. That we'd have to wait for an animal trial. And at that time, Bryce is just like, that's a fucking lie. You're never going to know. And then Alan, in a hazmat suit, walks into the isolation room. To negotiate the release of Sarah, he walks in. And they're like, you're not doing anything to help us. You're, you're not in this with us. And Alan's you're like, cutting bell whenever you can. And Alan's like, no, we're in this together. And starts taking his hazmat suit off. And these people in quarantine don't know that it's not airborne so they're like oh he he's now risking infection yeah because they were upset because before sarah wasn't wearing one and then when dr haven started getting bad she put it back on but that would be because she doesn't want to be exposed to any fluids yep so alan manages to get sarah out of there without the others escaping yeah and she's just like thank you blah 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 you don't have to do all that and he's just like it's not a problem it's not airborne then julia walks in on Alan and Sarah, like, talking after Alan rescues her. And she's like, you guys gotta see these rats and how they're reacting to the Narvik bee. Mm-hmm. And then, after they go see the rats, Hitake demands to talk to Alan. Well, when they go to see the rats, Julia explains what Narvik bee does. Mm-hmm. And that it's a pathogen that changes the way whatever it's inside of works. And it changes it and modifies it to seek to actively spread the virus. And calls it the perfect contagion machine. Which is not the case, because the perfect contagion machine would be... Waterborne, airborne, transferred by blood. Mm -hmm. Any possible form of transmission it would have. That would be the perfect contagion machine. Then Hitake demands to talk to Alan. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, Surge is outside, and he's found the guy that was trying to leave the base... And he's like, nah, dude, you need to come back in. You're not going to get very far on that on that snowmobile in, the, in this weather. And the guy's like, no, I got to get to civilization. I got to let them know what's going on here. The newspapers, the media, everybody needs to know. They were doing transgenic experiments and they did something with the virus vault. And what and they did with the monkeys was just horrendous. It was an abomination. People need to know. And then Serge is like, cool, cool. Stabs him. Stab, 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 stab. Yep. Murders the dude. We see Alan talking to Jolie real quick before he walks off with Hitake. And he's just like, I need you to go check on the patients in isolation you're right we're not just dealing with a single virus anymore yep doreen then shows up dragging behind her a subdued dr tracy and is like hey guys i got one of them well she shows up when um julie is in the clean room or locker room or right before isolation talking to sarah Mm -hmm. and just before this uh julie notices that sarah's right hand is like shaking and i guess she seems to be like trauma from the whole hostage thing until sarah she doesn't have to go back in and then dorian shows up with the with tracy and she's like i got another infected person yep so sarah does go back into the quarantine room mm-hmm. sarah julia and doreen all enter and the first person dr haven the first of these infected people dr haven starts to seize mm-hmm. and the others use him as a distraction to attack sarah and them and escape the room and then haven also stands up during this apologizes to sarah and leaves with them and he, he faked the seizure yep back in hitake's office alan and hitake basically get into an argument that boils down to alan blackmailing hitake and he's like look you gotta be honest with us if you're not honest with us we're gonna fucking leave yeah because hitake's just like man things weren't this bad until the cdc showed up and alan's just like those were my fucking people that were just attacked in there by your people and you know it wouldn't have happened if you had been fucking clear with us about what was going on you know like i don't know one of my people got attacked by a monkey that just apparently doesn't even exist yep so alan and hitaki agree the best way to get out of the situation alive is to work together and organize a containment plan so then in the locker room alan talks to julia and he's like look i wasn't keeping you off the search repeater because of your relationship with him but because i was worried for your safety i lost you once before i can't lose you again and she's like not my problem don't be a dick anymore yeah you're not responsible for me 
Um, then we come back to Hitaki in his office, and he's flipping through a photo album that is just candid photos of Julia. Some of them appear to have been taken with her knowledge, and other ones are definitely just like, look, there she is in a parking lot. There she is getting out of her car. Look, stalker photos. Yeah. Uh, we also see Sarah by herself again. Her right hand is just shaking. Mm-hmm. Hitaki then takes out some contacts, and we see that his eyes are shiny and silver and weird. Mm-hmm. We see Sergio burying the dead scientist in the snow, and then coming back inside. And then we get Julia in the shower, and Peter shows up. He recognizes her, says Pre- her name. Presses her against the wall. She kind of fights away out of it. But he still manages to grab her and forcefully mouth-to-mouth virus transmit into her face. Yep, and that's the end of episode two. Roll credits, that's it. We're done. What are your thoughts on the show, Josh? Well, it's bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy it, but because it has this like mystery underlying the whole thing, I'm kind of like compelled to watch more, but I'm not going to. I understand that. But like my brain's like, I want to know what's going on. And the answer is Dr. Hurtaki is an evil scientist. He works for Umbrella. And he's basically a vampire zombie dude. And that's why his eyes are silver. And he's take Here's my headcanon. Whatever this Narvik B, Nar- the Narvik virus, yep. is just like based on his DNA structure. I mean, that's entirely possible. Turns out, I, I noticed from the picture, th- the show thumbnail. Yeah. After we were watching. It's got a the, person um, on a cross. Yeah. And the tagline for the show is, play God, pay the price. So, uh don't know. The show has two seasons. Only two seasons. Yeah, I never got a third season. It probably ends on a cliffhanger, and I am not interested in watching any more of it. Justice, so, what's your opinion? I'm also not very interested in watching more of it. I am also vaguely intrigued by what's going on, but not, uh, not enough to really watch. My main problem is they do good moments where they could be suspenseful, but they've either already undercut their suspense with shit, or they ruin it at the end of it. Like, the long shots, like, if we didn't know Peter had escaped into the air vent, and we had long shots from the air vent, especially once we introduced their other missing people it adds a bit more tension you know if we see the photo album but we don't see that hitake is the one that has it yeah that adds more suspense we don't see it first like we just see the photo album, which that was good and then we see hitake with it and that ruins it i don't know why we need to see hitake has the weird eyes we are we already learned he's a bad guy in episode one or supposedly bad. why do we have to reinforce that there's even more weird with him in episode two that should be at least halfway through season one i wish that episode one hadn't revealed the connection between Surge and Dr. Hitake. It shouldn't have. And instead, the first hint we get of Surge being like... Is stabbing this doctor outside in the snow. Yeah, like... Like, we don't need to see the communication thing. We don't need to see anything with Hiroshi. We should just see him stabbing this guy, because that can then still be passed off as a good guy action. Yeah, like, God, this show could be better. The problem is, like, they have these moments where they could do suspense, but they don't actually know how to fucking pull it off. They get so close, and then they shit the bed. I don't want to pretend that, like, I can write a show. I've never never written anything that would be construed as like yeah, no, but a play I, I can, or a screenplay or but as a casual as, as a viewer and i guess mild critic we are technically critics now yeah. this is like our 35th show review not counting I, I feel like i know youtube and movies. how a story beat kind of flows right yeah it's like it's just like yeah this works you're telling a story but i think this would work better especially since you are trying to i don't know um your your tags call this a sci-fi horror suspense show i'm not really getting a lot of suspense you have a few jump scares like with the monkey and i guess kind of when sarah gets attacked by the isolated patients and your long shots are kind of shot well to be a bit creepy but they don't last long you don't really undercut it with your score and you're doing too you're revealing too much you're telling us too much too fast fast. also you don't have to be a screenplay writer to understand like what makes a better story because once you consume enough media just as a fact you get a 
it's like the English language. There's so many rules to the English language that people don't know. Um, before, yeah, except after C, except for all these fucking words that you already don't realize, you don't care about. Um, well, more like even like grammatical rules about grammatical like how, how you order things, like when you're describing the adjectives of something. Well, even just the structure of conversation and flow. Like you have a natural pause here and there that you will put in, but you don't know why you're putting them there. They just feel right like there's an entire order to adjectives Mm -hmm. and you 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 do it without realizing it like if i was to tell you that there's this house that's very that's very large and it's colored blue how would you describe that house in like one sentence it's a large blue house yeah a big blue house a large blue house but i wouldn't say it's a big i wouldn't say it's a blue large house i would say it's a large blue house yeah because size comes before color and you just know this because of how you've experienced the english language so same way when you experience shows experience books and other like storytelling media you eventually learn just passively the rules to how to tell a story and this show shits the bed all over it yeah and the worst part is it has the the chance to do some of these things really really well and it just doesn't yeah yeah also basically what i'm saying is if you've watched tv for even like a fractional part of your life you're a valid critic for tv shows and movies yeah don't let anybody tell you differently everybody who has experience with an art medium is a valid critic of that art medium even if they can't explain it in like industry terminology yep yeah and this show's bad yeah i might not be able to explain why the shots are bad or why the cuts are bad like in the i can tell you why those cuts are bad oh yeah i mean i can too there's continuity errors there's unnatural human movement yeah jerky movement that pulls you from the scene dialogue that doesn't feel entirely necessary and is actually undercut and made negative by these cuts but like you don't have to be able to like explain that to understand the show just feels bad yeah i will say we have watched worse definitely definitely but the biggest problem i have with helix is it has potential it has potential and doesn't follow through on any of it yeah anyways I think that's enough ranting about why this show is bad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So if you want to contact us to, I don't know, rant and rave about whatever or suggest something. Or if you're a fan of Helix or if you want to discuss a show we've reviewed previously. And tell us why we're wrong or, I don't know, just have a debate about it. You can email us at copilotsreview at gmail.com. You can join us on our Discord, which you can find on our website at copilotsreview.simplecast.com. On that Discord, you can find a channel called Episode Discussions, where we can just talk about whatever episode you currently want to talk about. We have a bunch of different areas where you can talk about different things. Or, if those don't sound like your speed, you can follow us on Twitter at copilotsreview. So that's it, guys. That's our review of Helix. Thank you for flying with us, and please fly again soon.